0: a light burning so i'm on well thank you for the invitation to be here tonight and to bring you god's word Uh, peggy sends her apologies Uh, she has been uh, down with this flu that has been going on for several weeks now so she's better but pray for her because on top of the flu there's my cooking and uh, she's managed to survive that And uh, we have to see how far that goes. But it's it's really great to be back and uh, to be in the pulpit this evening. Something I notice if I go back to churches where I've been before is that you all sit in the same places. I could close my eyes and say, hello there, hello there, hello there. But that's, that's good. It shows that you're still here. That's fantastic. Would you please turn with me to Luke chapter 23? the Gospel according to Luke and chapter 23, and uh, we're going to read a very well-known passage of Scripture, but I trust that there would be something new for us this evening as we consider this uh, very incredible conversion of the man at the cross with Christ. So we're reading from Luke 23 and verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be crucified. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. which reads, "'This is the king of the Jews.'" One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. "'Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us.'" But the other criminal rebuked him. "'Don't you fear God,' he said, "'since you are under the same sentence. "'We are punished justly, "'for we are getting what our deeds deserve.'" but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Praise God for his wonderful word. I love hearing stories about conversions, of how people come to personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And particularly when those conversions, those times of personal trust in Jesus are against all odds, when there's everything standing in the way of that person taking that step of faith. The story of Stephen Lungu is making the rounds on WhatsApp. And uh, if you haven't yet got that testimony... That's quite a few people have been getting it. Uh, You can Google Stephen Lungu testimony, and you can read this amazing story of this man. He was born in Harare, which was then Salisbury, called Salisbury in Zimbabwe. Abandoned on the streets when he was six years old. He lived under a bridge with a few other children. He became a drug addict before he was 10 years old. He stabbed somebody at the age, when he was at the age of 13, and uh, he formed a teenage gang. He grew up with a tremendous, deep, burning hatred for people, and particularly at that time, for white people. In 1960, a group called Dorothea Mission, a South African evangelistic mission, uh, went to Uh, Salisbury and were conducting outreach meetings and they had this very large tent in one place that seated close to a thousand people and uh, Stephen decided that he would petrol bomb the tent and the intention was to kill everybody who was there. When they got there he said to the members of his gang let's go in for just a couple of minutes to see the people that we are going to kill. And they went into this large tent, there was one bench open at the back and they sat there and they deliberately sang loudly and off key. Uh, I know a few people like that here at Honey Ridge. But they sang in that way to to kind of disrupt the meeting. And the preacher happened to come in from the back and touched uh, Stephen on the shoulder and just said, guys, can you just bring it down a little bit, he pulled out his knife and he said, if you touch me again, I'm going to kill you. He'd hardly said that when a young lady from Soweto came onto the platform and uh, she gave her testimony. And if you can locate this on Google, you see that Stephen says, her face seemed to glow with the glory of Christ. Following her testimony was the very simple, basic gospel message of the cross. And there was an invitation afterwards. Uh, Stephen was in tears. I don't know about the gang, whether they left. Stephen was in tears. He went forward with his knives and his guns that he'd brought into the meeting, and he committed his life to Christ. With no one telling him what he had to do, he went to the police station. And he handed everything in and said, this is what he planned to do. And he told them that that night God had forgiven him. And uh, the police said to him, well, if God has forgiven you, we forgive you. You haven't actually committed a crime. And one of the officers was obviously a Christian, gave him a Bible. And there was a a British missionary living in, uh, in Zimbabwe at that time called Patrick Johnson. And he took Stephen into his home and mentored him and grew him and helped him over the years. Stephen Lungu became known as the Billy Graham of Africa. And over the many years, literally thousands of people came to faith in Christ. He became leader of African Enterprise in Peter Maritzburg, founded by Michael Cassidy. And that's where I met Stephen many years ago. And he went to be with the Lord in 2021 uh, when the COVID epidemic was at its height. But what an amazing, amazing conversion against all odds, never heard the gospel before, burned up with a hatred. In one moment, the Holy Spirit worked in his life and he committed his life to Christ. However, I believe the most incredible conversion of all is the one that we read of this evening, and we call that the thief on the cross. That's the name given to this particular passage of Scripture and to this man, the thief on the cross. The odds stacked against him placing his faith in Jesus could not have been greater. If you read the passage carefully, and you think of who he was, they could not have been greater. Literally, here was a dying man placing his trust and his faith for the forgiveness of his sin and a home in eternity in heaven with Jesus, eternal life, in another naked, dying, beaten man hanging on a cross next to him. Could the odds ever be greater? A man who even claimed to be the Messiah, a man who claimed to be the King of the Jews, In fact, there was a title tacked to the cross above his head that said, this is the king of the Jews. But the religious leaders amongst all those gathered there were the ones mocking him and insulting him. And if he was king of the Jews and he was the Messiah, they of all people should have been worshipping him and praising him. But they were mocking him. People often We associate this story of the thief on the cross with what we call a so-called last-minute conversion. I've actually heard people say, uh, I'm going to live my life as I please, and at the last minute, I'm going to trust in Christ. After all, that's what the thief did. Well, that's a tremendous, tremendous spiritual risk. And it flies in the face of the love and the grace of God. And that's not really the essence and the main truth of this amazing conversion and passage of Scripture. The criminal didn't live as he pleased and then wait for a moment when he could believe in Christ. If you read the other Gospels, he, together with the other thief, was also mocking Christ up to that moment. This was his first encounter with Jesus and his first understanding, obviously, that he was a Messiah, the Messiah. It wasn't a calculated plan he devised to live and wait for this final moment. So just outside the walls of Jerusalem, Golgotha was a grim and frightening and foreboding place. The Gospels call it the place of the skull. In one place it's called Calvary, but in others the place of the skull. And the eyes and the nose and the mouth, sockets in the side of the hill can still be seen today. We know that it was once a quarry. We know that it was once a place for the stoning to death of people. We know that it was a place of execution. And very recently, Uh, excavations at the place have suggested that it may have even been used as a rubbish dump. It was a dreadful place. And at that place, three men were crucified that day. The Gospels tell us that two of the men, and these are the names given to them, were thieves, robbers, and criminals. And whatever their specific crimes were, They were serious enough for him, or for them, to be given the death sentence. All four gospel writers tell us Jesus was crucified right there between the two. Despite all the charges leveled by the religious leaders against the Lord Jesus Christ, Pilate, the Roman governor, after two trials, two Roman trials, said that he finds nothing wrong with this man and that he's not guilty of the accusations that were laid against him and he declared that to the crowd he declared that to the religious leaders but the weak pilot gave in to their demands for jesus to be crucified as a criminal they even objected to the sign above his head and said Why don't you change it to say that he says he is king of the Jews? Pilate said, I've written what I have written. The crucifixions did not take place on the top of Golgotha. Some of our popular hymns say that. Uh, Artists uh, from about the mid-1500s and a bit earlier depict three crosses on the top of the hill, but nowhere in Scripture does it say on a hill. It says Jesus was taken to the place called Golgotha. And the crucifixions took place in front of this ugly, dark, foreboding hill as a background. They took place close to the road, and we know that for several reasons. We read that those walking by on that busy road in and out of Jerusalem, walking by saw him, and they mocked him. We know that the purpose of crucifixion in that day was that it had to be public, extremely public. It had to be in a place where people could walk past and look into the face of the person and see the name or the title or the accusation that was written on a card of some kind stuck above his head. That was the purpose of crucifixion. So we know that he was crucified in a very public place close to the road. Not only were the crowds gathered, but those walking by mocked him as well. Let's picture the scene for a moment. A large, hostile crowd, together with religious leaders, has come out of the city following the three men. They gathered around in that area. They've left enough space for people passing in and out of. Jerusalem on the busy road to see as well and they are mocking, they are jeering they are shouting insults at Jesus and we read in the other gospels at that point as well both the criminals were also turning and throwing insults at Christ just pause for a moment and think about this incredible moment Here is Jesus paying for our sin. Paying for the sin of those two criminals on the crosses next to him. Think of this for a moment. You couldn't get any closer to the suffering Christ. He was literally an arm's length away. You could turn your head and you could look into his face. You could look into his eyes. In fact, I thought in the later part of my preparation that that's the title I should have used for tonight's message, face to face. They could turn and they could look into the face of Jesus. You couldn't get any closer. And apart from those disciples meeting the risen Jesus just three days later, when he'd come out of the tomb, risen from the dead, I want to suggest to you tonight, tonight, it's hard to imagine a more unique and amazing situation in history where you are next to the man who is the Messiah, next to the man who is the Son of God, next to the man who is suffering for your sin, dying quietly, patiently, lovingly for your sin. Amazing, amazing situation that we often just read so quickly. Now, both criminals had the same opportunity to respond to Christ. He's right there between him, them. But we see two different responses. The first response is from the criminal seeking temporary physical help. Take note of his words. He picks up, if you read all the Gospels together, he picks up the mocking words from the crowd. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Son of God. If he is the Messiah. If he is the chosen one. Let him save himself. Mark notes that they also said, come down from the cross to Jesus. If you come down from the cross, then we are going to believe. But we know if Jesus did come down from the cross, there would be no salvation. No reason to have services here on a Sunday and to preach the gospel. But the criminal, the one criminal, picks up the taunt and he makes it his personal, sarcastic plea. I like the way the message translation puts it. Some Messiah you are, save yourself. And have you ever noticed this? He says, save us. Save us. Save me, in other words, and this other man. I'm going to speak for him. Save us. Get us off these crosses. But that was so short-sighted. If Jesus had been able to do that, they would have been arrested immediately again by the Romans and crucified again. Now we see the second response. Suddenly, against all odds that I've outlined and could go even further to describe, we see an amazing change in the other man. We're told it was very difficult to speak when you were crucified. Your legs were bent and nailed to a little, feet nailed to a little platform on the cross, And you had to push yourself up and breathe in and then exhale and speak in a very kind of tortured way. And they'd been doing this for several minutes as they had accused Christ and mocked Christ and ridiculed Christ. And suddenly the other man does that. He pushes himself up. He breathes in again. And he suddenly says, something quite amazing. Painfully, he turns and he looks across Christ to the other thief. And let's read his words again from Luke chapter 23 and from verse 40. But the other criminal rebuked him. That's the other man. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence We are being punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he moves his gaze from that man across to the center cross. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What incredible words. We read so quickly through the scriptures. Just think of all the background to this moment. He says to the other man, we are suffering justly. Then he says to Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. I want us for a few minutes tonight to consider the incredible love the incredible grace, the incredible mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ revealed to us at the cross, not just for this man, but for each of us, for you and for me, as he suffered there on the cross. As Jesus hung there, because of a crucifixion, so his pain is increasing. The three-hour darkness would suddenly and soon come upon him. And in that three-hour darkness would be the awful, awful, righteous anger of God against him. He would be punished in our place to the point where God would turn his back upon his son and Jesus would cry, out, God, God why have you forsaken me? All this awaits Jesus, and yet he responds to the man who had been ridiculing him and mocking him and perhaps even cursing him, we don't know, but it's possible, and he says, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. What an amazing, amazing statement from an amazing, wonderful Savior. Four points of emphasis will help us understand the criminal's amazing change. Number one, he was persuaded, obviously. How and why? Against all odds, why did he stop mocking and turn to Jesus? I'm sure that he noted when Jesus was crucified, he did not curse, he did not shout, he did not fight back. Isaiah 53 tells us he was smitten, he was afflicted, he was pierced, he was crushed, he was punished for our iniquities, and like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep before a shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He must have noted that. He must have seen there was some dignity about Jesus. The thief heard the prayer of Jesus for the forgiveness of those who not only Crucified him, but who taunted him, and that would have included the thief as well, both thieves. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they are doing. And praying for the forgiveness of others was something at the cross. Never. There was cursing, there was shouting. They were saying, I wish you who crucified me, I wish you a worse death than I'm having. But praying for those who crucified you, you'd never hear that. There was kind of a majesty about Jesus. The criminal had read that title on the cross, this is the king of the Jews, because he spoke about the kingdom that Jesus was returning to. A king has a kingdom. So he said, remember me, when you enter into your kingdom. And finally, and I think most importantly, the dying thief was persuaded by the work of the Holy Spirit. There's no other way. All that I've said, I think, helps us understand the change, but he's persuaded by the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I think it's verse 6, that no man can call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, No one can come to me except the Father brings him. The Father draws him. So we have God working in this thief's life. We have Christ dying for him. We have the Holy Spirit beginning to persuade him. Secondly, I want us to see that this thief set a pattern Here is the clear, simple picture of the gospel and of how we come to Christ. It's not unique to this man, it's the gospel. And the great example is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. By grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, in case you should boast." this criminal obviously could bring nothing of merit. He couldn't say to Jesus, just look at my good works, then remember me when I'm in heaven. Here he is dying as a criminal. He could not say, look at my religious background. And he well may have been a Jew, we don't know. He couldn't say that. He had nothing. He couldn't say that he'd been baptised. That he had some religious affiliation—none of that, none whatsoever. He brought nothing of merit to Christ, but notice he repented. He had a change of mind, a change of direction, a change of of uh, thinking and attitude. He admitted and he confessed his sin. That's repentance when he said, we are being punished for what we've done. We are guilty. He was saying that. Secondly, he acknowledged the sinlessness of Jesus. He said to the other thief, this man has done nothing wrong. Then he trusted Christ. Remember me. Remember me. Do something for me when you enter your kingdom. And he even knew Christ's death was not going to be the end of Christ. Because he said, when you enter your kingdom, the Holy Spirit had so worked in his heart and life that he knew that when this man died, even though his body would be buried and he didn't know anything about the resurrection at that point, that this man was going to his kingdom. Remember me when you come to your kingdom. Thirdly, his prayer was personal. Remember me. Everything with salvation is personal between you and the Lord Jesus Christ. He couldn't speak on behalf of the other thief who said, get us off these crosses. That man had to repent and personally trust, which he didn't, sadly. People don't come to Christ corporately. By being a member of a church, even of this church, by being here tonight, that doesn't mean that you're going to go to heaven and have your sin forgiven. It's a personal step of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've said to my children and my grandchildren that God has children but no grandchildren. We're told in John chapter 1, when you personally put your trust and your faith In Jesus, you become a child of God. But my family, my children, my grandchildren cannot ride on that. They have to personally put their trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I want you to notice that Christ's assurance was personal. Notice what he said. He didn't say, "Well, when I get to heaven someday, I'll think about you. I'll remember you." Might say to the angel, I, I, "Who's that guy? I met at his name, but I remember him." It's not in that sense. Jesus said to him, "Today, you will be with me." That's the one. The Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be with me. Fourthly, we see that his commitment was public. He wasn't ashamed. He wasn't embarrassed. He said to the other thief, and maybe they'd done all these things together. He said, "We're guilty. This man is not. And I'm going to put my faith in him." He said that publicly. He wasn't embarrassed. He wasn't ashamed. The other criminal heard. The soldiers sitting around the base of the cross gambling for the clothes of Jesus heard. Others may, who may have been close to the cross of that crowd, they heard. And I want to suggest, and I like to think, that Mary must have been encouraged. Standing there at the cross, her heart pierced, as she had borne this child, this child who is born of a virgin, brought into our world as the Son of God. Her heart pierced, and if you read Luke chapter one, you can read that the, the angel spoke to her and said that you will bear a son; you shall call his name Jesus, and spoke of the kingdom of Jesus being without end. Have you ever thought that? Mary might have heard him say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Maybe her heart was encouraged in those moments of intense grief to realize that Jesus' kingdom, as she was told, will have no end. And this man for whom Jesus was dying was going to go into that kingdom. Within three hours... Jesus died. He wasn't killed by the cross. He died on the cross. We read that he yielded his spirit to his Father. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus cho- chose the moment and he did what you and I cannot do took his spirit and handed it to his Father, having finished the work. He said it is finished, and he died. The two thieves died a little after that as their legs were broken by the soldiers and immediately the one man was in the presence of Jesus because Jesus said so. Today, today you're going to be with me. Sadly and tragically, immediately, the other man went to the place of we hate to use that word today and I don't know why because it's all through scripture a place that the Bible calls hell separated from God for all eternity he never placed his trust and his faith in Christ an arm's length away he could look into the face of Jesus and see the eyes of Jesus when the other thief had looked into the face of Jesus he did not see In his eyes, any anger, any resentment, any kind of judgment, because a few minutes before he'd been cursing Christ, but he saw tender love and mercy and grace. The other man had the opportunity. You know, my dear friends, as I close, perhaps the frightening thing is this, is that you may be so close to Jesus. You're here in a service tonight. And I don't know all of you. And maybe you've never given your life to Christ, but you're here in the sense being close to Christ. You're hearing his word being preached. You've listened to us singing praises to him. You might come from a Christian family where your mother and your father believe. That's how close you are. You can open the word of God and you can read the gospels and read John chapter 3. And you can read almost... And really, be face to face with Jesus and His love and His mercy and His grace. So you've got to take that step of faith. You've got to personally believe in Christ as this man did. And as the gospel has set for us, and I say again, in many ways, Ephesians 2:8 to 10 gives us a simple pattern for the whole gospel message. By grace you are saved. Only grace. We don't deserve it. The thief said so. We deserve judgment and death. We don't deserve his grace. By grace you are saved through faith. Not through religious works. Not through a thousand things that we bring to the table. Through faith. Bringing nothing to Christ but our faith and our trust in him. By grace you are saved through faith. Not of works. No good works because we all boast about them. And so tonight it's been such a joy and such a privilege to bring to you this simple word, this passage of Scripture that we've read so often, perhaps read too quickly, and to say to you tonight, if I could come and sit next to you personally and urge you and plead with you, put your trust and your faith personally in the Lord Jesus Christ believe in him for his work upon the cross and if you have perhaps walked with Christ at one time and you are are far from him this evening and that can happen I pray that perhaps again just the wonder of the love of Jesus on that middle cross Looking across to this man who had taunted and cursed and mocked him, said, "Today, you'll be with me in paradise. But let perhaps inflame a love that's grown cold, so that you'll love him more." What a wonderful Savior we have! What a glorious Lord Jesus Christ! And like that thief, let our commitment be unashamed, public. We may tell others and live before others to the fact that we know Him. Jesus alone is our hope. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we want to thank you tonight for this wonderful, wonderful Savior, who in the moment of His of His very passion for us, his love for us, his agony for us, his death for us. In the midst of all his suffering, he patiently bore the curses of those two men and of all the others. And he had time to listen to the one man who said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, today, today, my friend, you'll be with me in paradise. What a wonderful saviour you are. We love you and we praise you. We worship you. We ask that you would inflame our hearts with love for yourself, to be unashamed to speak of you and to live for you out there in the public place. And if there should be one or more tonight who needs you, Father, Spirit and Jesus the Son, as you were at work in that thief's life on the cross in that moment, be at work even now, drawing someone to yourself that they may trust and believe in you. And we pray in your most wonderful name. Amen.